0: My first Ironman was in 2015 and I hadn't run a marathon before. I, the longest I'd run was 26 kilometers in training and um, that, that was super daunting knowing that I was going to do a marathon and it was going to be after about six hours of racing already. But you just get through it and the race day is completely different to training. Like it's you're catered with nutrition the whole way. Uh, emotionally, you're probably on a high as well because there's support. You've probably got family there, and there's athletes all around you. It's not like going out for a six-hour ride or a five-hour ride by yourself, where uh, you know your mind can wander. So, my takeaway would be: um, the race, you're always going to feel great in for the most part because there's a lot of different stimulus. But just get in a long ride and a long run, and make sure that you've trialed your nutrition prior to that, so you know what you're doing on race day.
1: That was Pro Triathlete and co-founder of the Cupcake Cartel, Callum Millward, and this is his story on the Pacing Racing Podcast. All right. What's happening, everyone? Welcome back and welcome to the first time listeners. My name is Stephen Langenhausen. And I'm the host of the Pace Racing Podcast. And joining us today is Cal Millward, co-founder of the Cupcake Cartel team and who may also be recognized as the host of Cupcakes with Cal on YouTube, which in my opinion is honestly one of the funniest series of interviews with pro triathletes that I've ever seen. So if you're looking for a great laugh and I highly, highly recommend checking that out. Now, a little bit about Cal here, he is a pro triathlete with numerous 70.3 wins and multiple 70.3 and Ironman podiums, and unfortunately sat out a good portion of 2019 due to an injury, but that hasn't kept him out of the triathlon realm. In fact, one thing close to Cal's heart these days is the Cupcake Cartel, which is a team of triathletes and like-minded people that come together for support and encouragement in racing and training. This is a highly sought after team with over 500 applications received for just 2020 season alone and are recognized by many for their badass race kits, their highly reputable sponsors like Quintana and their steady mix of enthusiastic age groupers and pro athletes alike. And in today's episode, we get to pick Cal's brain on what makes the Cupcake Cartel one of the most popular triathlon teams out there for age groupers to be a part of. And we'll talk about Cal's race season as a pro triathlete and how he's overcame his bilateral torn battal attendance. We'll talk about some funny moments with pro interviews during his Cupcakes with Cal videos, And we'll end it off, as usual, with some great key takeaways on training for Ironman for age groupers. This is an awesome podcast episode, so I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And now, let's get into it. The sponsor of today's podcast is brought to you by Quintana Roo Triathlon Bikes. I'm absolutely ecstatic and humbled to be working alongside Quintana Roo as they have the best lineup of triathlon bikes and products out there on the market. And to be riding a Quintana Roo bike is honestly a dream come true. Now, Quintana Roo actually started making triathlon bikes all the way back in 1989, and have since created the nicest looking designs and the most top performing features I've seen. And after a ton of research, I went with the PR5, seeing as I'll be doing my first full distance triathlon at Challenge Roth this summer. So I wanna make sure I was equipped with the best bike and the best gear. I can't wait to show this bike off. So currently right now, I'm working alongside JP at Brown Sports on a bike fit video, which is going to be awesome because for those who don't know about that shop, they sell and do bike fits on QR bikes all the time. So you can stay tuned for that by simply subscribing to the Pace Racing YouTube channel. And another reason I went with Quintana Roo bikes were that when you ride with QR, you essentially become family. Now, at any Ironman or USA Triathlon event that QR is attending, you can bring your QR bike to the booth and they'll do a free checkup and tune up, which is super, super cool because it takes the worry out of your racing and traveling. The bike also comes with lifetime warranties. So when you look at the 2019 Kona bike list, you can see why they had over 120 Quintana Roo bikes there. They're absolutely a great brand to ride with and the bikes are well suited for challenging courses like Kona. And another neat fact, when you order from Quintana Roo, All the bikes are pulled, painted, and built for each customer order that comes through the door, so much so that they fall within the NAFTA guidelines, and Canadian customers don't actually get hit with any duty on any QR products when they're shipped to Canada. So I think that's pretty neat if you're living here in Canada. I mean, as you can hear, of course, I'm a big fan of not only their bikes, but also their brand and service in general. So stay tuned because you'll be seeing lots of the PR5 across social media. So be sure to be subscribed to all platforms. And again, if you want to learn more about Quintana Roo, then of course, you can simply find them by searching them on Facebook or Instagram by searching QuintanaRoo or head to www.quintanarootry.com. And again, QuintanaRoo is spelt Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-A-R-O-O. The second sponsor of today's show is 51 Speed Shop, and this is a company that is making huge headway in the triathlon industry. The key difference between 51 Speed Shop and their competitors is that they don't just take the fit first approach in their development. They are the fitters and are actually very well known for being some of the best fitters out there. And I truly think their products they designed could be some of the best products out there when it comes to a blend of aerodynamics, comfort, and performance. So between 80 to 90% of the overall resistance affecting the rider comes from aerodynamic drag. Therefore, if we can reduce the drag, the rider can maintain a higher velocity for the same given efforts. And when we buy a triathlon bike, we're actually buying speed. Now, the tri-bike allows a rider to hold a position on the bike and attempt to decrease aerodynamic drag. However, that number one thing that impacts a rider's ability to increase their speed is not aerodynamics. In fact, it's comfort. Now, comfort is measured as our ability to sustain your position for the duration of your race. And if you're unable to hold your position because you're uncomfortable, then nothing else really matters. And that's why 51 Speed Shop has created a variety of aero bar extensions to meet the demands of all types of riders. For example, if you like your wrist in neutral positions with higher hand height when holding the bars, then you can look at the ski carbon extensions, which is used by riders like Jake Burtwistle, Sam Appleton, and Jake Montgomery. Now, if you like neutral wrists with moderate hand height, then you can go with the FSM extensions like Heather Jackson or Tim Reed. Now, you also have the option of the ultimate carbon extensions that offer high hand position while offering multiple rotational configurations or you can even pair any of these extensions with the 51 Monitorizer Aerobar system for maximal aerodynamics and comfort. I'm personally a big fan of this brand and their extensions. I'll definitely be throwing a pair on my PR5. Now, which ones? You'll have to stay tuned to find out which ones we'll be putting on through our BikeFit video. Now to find out more about 51 Speed Shop, you can actually check them out on Instagram or Facebook by searching 51 Speed Shop, or you can simply check out all their products by going to their website at 51. Dash -speedshop.com All right, Cal what's up man how things
0: going? Yeah doing well thanks Just uh, it's noon out here and it is toasty hot
1: so we're just staying inside and getting ready for the afternoon's training. It's funny to me to hear you say that it's toasty hot there because it's frigid cold over here right now so I'm, I'm quite envious of that in a, little, in a way. <laughs> yeah we could do with a little bit of the snow to be honest with all the, the wildfires. It's been uh, so true It's been a tough summer for uh, Australia definitely to say the least anyway right i mean uh hopefully we can switch some of this weather here give you guys some cold weather and take some yeah. of your hot weather bring it over here
0: yeah i've always uh, wanted to have a white christmas so i i need to get out, out in the northern hemisphere sometime and I, I guess it's strange for you guys if you ever come down under and we're all grilling and barbecuing for christmas rather than <laughs> you know, right up inside
1: that's it eh no good stuff man Uh, Anyway, so first off, I just want to say I'm pumped to be having this chat today with you here, and uh, for the listeners here, let's get them uh, started off on the right foot, and let's talk about your backstory here. I mean, uh, born and raised in New Zealand, right? How did you get into triathlon? Uh,
0: First triathlon is around 10 years old. New Zealand has, um, Australia and New Zealand have like a a school kids series sponsored by Wheat bix which I guess would be kind of like Witty bix and it's cool, like the Wheat Bix Kiwi Kids Triathlon or Aussie Kids um, Wheat Bix Triathlon. And basically, you get together you and two of your buddies, and you go to one of the big city centres where they host these
1: events uh, during the summer. And that was kind of the introduction. Way back then, I assume it was safe to say you probably didn't think about going professional by any means, right? I, like when did that all kind of happen for you? Like when when was that moment you realized that you wanted to take it to the next level and go pro?
0: Well, New Zealand and probably Australia didn't really have a pro system or a pro card system. Um, basically, if you wanted, if you thought you were fast enough and you you, you more or less just entered the open division in, um, in an event and this soon became, I guess, the pro division. Even in New Zealand to this day, I don't think it's classified as like a pro division. So. Uh, I guess that sort of um, comes from the U.S. more so, but it sort of flows down uh, to the Oceania region where um, it, you basically you send an email to Triathlon New Zealand and you say, look, uh, can you endorse me as a professional athlete? And then um, it stems from there. And obviously your salary and, you know, prize money, nothing changes just by taking your pro card. You still uh, You still got to grind away and try and make that money, but... Um, to answer your question, I did. I went to university and I, I finished in, I think, 2004 and uh, I didn't really take triathlon too seriously up until that point. I, I played rugby in New Zealand because uh, it's a national sport. Uh, the All Blacks is kind of, to become an All Black is the aspiration of most Kiwi kids and um, when I was about 13 or 14, I stopped getting as big as some of the, I guess, Players, so I decided to sort of venture down into running and swimming. And obviously, rather than putting on mass, you're trying to get rid of mass to go a little bit faster. And um, that sort of planted the bug. And I just knew Australia had a strong history of triathletes. Um, and uh, the Summer Olympics in Sydney had just been with the introduction of triathlon, and that was super motivating. I remember watching that and watching. Um, Simon Whitfield win that, and it's just super inspiring. So, um, unfortunately, Kiwis didn't do crazy well there, but I guess that all changed um, in the next Olympics in uh, Athens. And I guess it sort of it plants a seed, and you get motivated to see this. And for a little country of three and a half million, it was it was really motivating. And basically, I graduated from a uh, university, and I decided that I wanted to have a go at seeing if I could have a career in this triathlon business and I moved by myself at the age of 21 to Australia and I reached out to a coach over here, Cole Stewart, and I asked if I could join his squad and I was basically uh, super naive. I didn't know any, you know, I'd, I'd just taken three years off. I studied sports marketing and I didn't even really know what what was required or what it took to be an athlete uh, especially to race professional because I hadn't had any results at all and um, I was straight into the deep end I started with these the squad and we're training day in day out I was working at night and after about a year and a half of just seven days a week training and just being fully committed um, I started to get some results
1: what was the like? let's talk about your first race there. What was that experience as your first race as a pro? Um, do you, do you recall that? And do you remember the kind of motions around that or,
0: um, it's hard to define when the first race as a pro was because, um, Australia, New Zealand had sort of that open division and that was just the division you raced in. Uh, it wasn't until, uh, let me think probably 2000, uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'll go back. So if we, Start off in Australia, there's just a lot of regional races. And being a Kiwi looking from the outside into Australia, uh, I always viewed their athletes as super fast, super strong, very good swimmers. Uh, Being an island country, uh, everyone was very strong swimming in the surf. And um, so, yeah, basically just uh, we learned our trade by racing these domestic races within Australia. And I guess the first official sort of pro race was. an Olympic distance ITU Oceania champs which is Australia New Zealand and my coach said go and have a race there and it was uh, just uh, west of Sydney and I didn't know any of the athletes racing we got in a car and drove down there 12 hours from, um, from the Gold Coast and I finished second in the race and that Qualified me as uh, qualified me for ITU under twenty three world champs in Lausanne, Switzerland that year, and that also means since I was the first Kiwi across the line, um, you receive government funding and government assistance, and I guess that was the first sort of exposure to pro racing. Um, the good thing about all of that, is I I wasn't nervous or anxious about anything. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain, and. Um, at, still at the time, you weren't defined as a pro. It was just your racing and sort of whoever lined up on the line. And um, from that point on, I, I moved back to Auckland, New Zealand, to make the most of those facilities on offer. And I spent the next four years sort of chasing that ITU dream. Um, and I was drafted into the uh, sort of an Olympic squad towards London in 2012, and. It was just, it was a really cool experience. We got to race in Europe. We got to race, uh, we came over to High um, uh, V in Des Moines, Iowa. We raced Austin, Texas, and we just got exposed to, you know, the first sort of foray of international racing, which um, it's a big step up from, you know, two years prior. I, I was sort of um, unfit and studying and didn't really have this on my agenda.
1: Yeah, man, that's, it's amazing amazing story to hear that, right? That transition to when someone decides to go pro and, and go full tilt on it, it, that's always pretty fascinating to hear. Now, you obviously went the ITU route for a little while, and then at what point did you switch to the 70.3 and full Ironman circuits? And and did you always have that envision that you wanted to do long distance, or was that just a leap of faith you attempted and in the end worked out for you?
0: I'd always planned on it, and looking, looking at the distances from ITU towards half Ironman which it was called at the time and full Ironman it just I kind of always admired these guys I remember watching Ironman New Zealand and Taupo and just thinking how do these guys average like 40 kilometers an hour or you know 20 is it 24 or 26 miles per hour for like 180 kilometers I just I couldn't get my head around that and um but I guess uh i always had it in me that i thought i was a, a bit of a diesel engine rather than a fast burner uh, in itu racing a lot of it is about your speed your run speed your swim takeout speed and honestly i didn't quite have it I, I got some results in some races and i went to a world champs and it was great but i guess it sort of more prepared me for moving to long course racing
1: in 2011 Right. No, perfect, man. And looking at the seasons over the years there in the long course, you had many great seasons, you know, multiple setting point three wins and numerous podiums across both circuits, both the full and half Ironmans. Now, I mean, Looking at this past season, it was quite a unique year for you, right? You had an injury. It was it was a bilateral patellar tendon injury. And then the second half of the year, you and your wife welcomed your firstborn child, which I just heard in the background there. So, I mean, yeah. first off, congratulations on that. So, uh, yeah. it's it's not too typical of a year for you as a pro triathlete, right? Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it was a massive adaption, um, but it, it's so cool as well. And I guess, uh, you know, I'm 36 now and... Um, at some point or another, you've got to have a few other components to your life for so long. All you do is eat, sleep, and train, and it's just all about results. And I guess I think uh, moving to long course, you start to realize that um, uh, I, I felt a little bit more liberated. You can select your races that you want to. You do. So I, I based myself in Boulder, Colorado. I thought that was the hub for long course racing in, the, in North America. Um, I went there with a buddy from New Zealand. We reached out to um, a friend of a friend of a friend and they hosted us and we sort of found our roots and that's sort of how we got exposed to the racing out there. And uh, for so long you can just focus on yourself and focus on your results and focus on training and recovery, particularly recovery. And um, I guess after doing that for the last eight years, nine years, yeah, we're we'll sort of getting to that age where it's time to look at um, life and just the exit strategy from professional racing. I still want to keep racing. It's just um, like a lot of the ladies and the men in our sport. You need to um, you need to take a step back for a hot second and realize that there's more to life than
1: just triathlon exactly right no there's quite a few other athletes out there i mean ben hoffman perfect example right he uh he just had uh their newborn as well and, and he had a stellar year you know in 2019 so yeah it, it's always it's good to see you still maintain both but it's uh it's fascinating i mean it definitely takes a lot of organization i'm sure with time management and everything right to say the least
0: yeah i remember seeing um tim reed when he had his first kid and he came out and i think he won auckland 70.3 when that was still around and um a few athletes who have just become new fathers or mothers, or particularly fathers, because they can race straight away, I think you just you start to realize that, you know, you need to put um, dinner on the table and a roof over your young one's head and there's a bit more to live for other than just yourself. You know, if you're just a young, young athlete and uh, you have a rough season financially, you can just generally move back in with your parents. And um, for so long, you're uh, dependent on other people, for funding, especially sponsors or a job or your parents. Uh, I think it's, it's quite common in our sport, but um, I guess that tide gradually shifts. You figure out how to leverage yourself and, um, and you start to become a bit more financially independent.
1: For sure. No, very well put. And let's talk about that injury you had there in 2019, right? Um, Do you know kind of how that injury came about and uh, like, how was the recovery process? Are you, are you fully recovered yet or what's that looking like? Uh, I've
0: actually got an appointment right after this uh, podcast where I'm going back to my sports doctor. Um, I had, I don't know how it came about. I've got a couple of suspicions, um, perhaps from a new bike fit, uh, perhaps from, I tried some, uh, a new form of cross training and I don't hundred percent know. I just know that our sport, we get injuries in 2007. I had a bilateral compartment release, uh, on my calf muscles, uh, so basically it's, it's like taking a sausage or a frankfurt and they just cut the outsides of it, like the fascia, just to let the the meat or the muscle inside it expand because it becomes too pressurized. And wow. that, I remember, was really early on in my career of racing as a professional, um, and it took a year and a half to overcome that. But uh, I guess you just you learn to hang in there and you try and compartmentalize parts of your life and your training and I remember switching to mountain biking for a while and I thought my career was done and I've had those same thoughts this past year. It's been really challenging. Um, It has given us more time to focus on having a a son um, and also it's given us time to focus on our team which is um, just coming up its third year. So we've we've got a team of 340 athletes and it's called the Cupcake Cartel and we sort of start to get into apparel and just ensuring that, you know, we've got something other than just triathlon in our life, even though it is a triathlon based team, but it's just another aspect where um, we can focus a lot of our energy while um, the rehab continues.
1: That's right too. And you're right. Although it is triathlon, you're being set in this environment with a nice team of, you know, like-minded individuals, right? I think that's one of the cool things. That's why I was really interested in in the cupcake cartel because everyone seems super optimistic and had good vibes at at all the races the cupcake cartel attends and so it's a really cool atmosphere and I kind of want to talk a little bit more about that I mean so for the listeners who haven't heard about the team yet how did this all kind of start like this has been three years now what made you guys want to start this um
0: so the whole cupcakes thing came in 2014 when uh I'm not sure if you know of Glenn Murray who is corrupt vision the photographer Mm -hmm. he is the of uh, Liz Blatchford, who's a pro who's just retired. And he would always be out in Boulder, Colorado. Him, myself, and Tim Burkle, amongst a few other Australian and Kiwi athletes, we just got talking about how a lot of the media, especially the interviews, are quite mundane and it's the same sort of standards questions, you know, before Kona. Uh, A lot of the Breakfast with Bob questions can be repeated. And his interviews are great. I, I love mm-hmm. them. But um, it is generally the same questions every year. And we just got thinking, what if we just uh, showcase some of the athletes' personalities and have a little fun with it? We know a lot of the athletes personally. We have access to them, which is a big benefit. Uh, a lot of them were in Boulder, Colorado. And Glenn also had the access to his um, DSLR. And we were able to set up a camera and just sit people down on the couch once a week. And we aptly named it Cupcakes with Cal and it was just a bit of tongue-in-cheek and we started having fun with these interviews and uh, one of the websites slow twitch they hosted it and it sort of took off and uh, we went out to Kona the same year and did cupcakes in Kona and interviewed athletes out there as well as just other personalities who are attending the race and it sort of helped put my name on the map and just showcase my personality as well that I like to have a bit of fun and I think you don't need to be super intense to still be a good athlete. There's, there's more to life than just focusing on triathlon. And I just think there's a lot of athletes who have personalities and I think it's important to show those off. You know, a good example the past year or so is Lionel Sanders and Cameron Worth. They'll have a lot of fun, a lot of good banter, and I think it's great so long as, you know, it's not offensive. I think um, it's cool to see these guys have some tongue-in-cheek with each other. There's, there's more to just the athlete side of them.
1: Exactly. It's funny. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Cupcakes with Cal because uh, I was dying laughing the other day, actually watching some of those interviews. And it was it was pretty funny, right? Like you you mentioned Lionel there. And to me, Lionel just seems like one of those. I've never met Lionel, but he seems like one of those serious kind of guys. But then to see him go along with that interview, I was dying. And then uh, so I, I definitely recommend if, if no one's seen that yet. I mean, obviously, you have the YouTube channel up there, Cupcakes with Cal. And uh, it's it's hilarious. So you got to check out those videos.
0: Yeah, we we run past some of the more controversial things with people, and but for the most part, it's just off the cuff. I do a little bit of planning for it, uh, so it is a little time and time um, sensitive. But a, a lot of the athletes are totally down for it because you know at the time it was hot. We did it for two years, and it was just going to be fun. And the athlete could just come have fun rather than sort of being serious and. Some athletes were more serious than others, but I would have other pros just sliding into my inboxes, asking if I'd interview them and all sorts. And I remember coming to uh, 70.3 Mont Blanc Worlds and having athletes ask me if I could film them and do the interviews. And I'm like, hey, sure. uh, I'm still trying to race there. And uh, trying to uh, differentiate doing that sort of media side of things from the racing, it, that was a real challenge. And I think that's sort of why we parked it um, in 2015. It just... It'd be great to bring it back. I think there's a lot of guys like yourself and Talbot Cox and Bob Babbitt, and just to mention a few, who are doing a great job of covering everything. Um, there'll always be space for personalities. It's just it's a it's a balancing act.
1: For sure. No, that's it. Especially now you got a young one at home too, right? I mean, sure, that's the last thing I do is add something to your plate. But it was funny because I was going to ask you, you know, with Cameron Wirf out there, I'm sure just if you're a do one comeback interview. I think that'd be a hilarious one. <laughs> I think everyone would love to see that.
0: Yeah, he's great, and I, I love that he's a he's a top athlete as well. And he can uh, he can have, he, he can poke some fun at himself. Um, you don't necessarily see that with maybe someone like Jan, but I think Lionel and Cameron uh, have got huge entertainment value. It's a bit like. Tour de France with Chris Froome he is a great performance athlete but his interviews are not as stimulating as Peter Sagan's and so you know there's always uh, sponsors and leverage will come a lot from personality not just results and I think um, I think more power to people like Cameron you know Starkey and uh, Lionel I think I think Lionel has got a great following now with his YouTube series with him and Talbot and uh, when I did my interview with him, he was just just a cool guy. I didn't know him prior to the interview. I'd raced him a couple of times, and uh, I admired what he's achieved and his background. And we just sat and we we did the interview for like forty five minutes, and then we just sat for another hour and just him and Aaron and his father were just super cool people.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely it was good stuff. Let's continue to talk about the team there. So, I mean, from what originated as Easy Go Lucky Cupcakes with Cal interviews turned out into a Wonderful team actually, right? You mentioned it's been going on for three years now and and talk about this team. I mean, it's it's grown pretty immensely to over three hundred people now, right? And I think I saw that you had applications, over five hundred applications this year alone, right? So, uh, how did this sort of evolve year to year?
0: Yeah, we started it in two thousand seventeen. We started to to have more and more people ask about, you know, coaching and racing and training and uh i remember it was right it was in december 2017 we're at ironman western australia getting ready to race uh i was rooming with pete jacobs and his wife and um my girlfriend elise and we were like okay let's um let's just put up a poll on facebook and just try and if we do have a team what would we name it and um the cupcake cartel was a suggestion and people voted on it and liked it and and we just sort of we had no idea what it was going to become. And then we, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll create an application process. And we thought about what could happen with this team and what we envisaged with it. Uh, and continuing on the theme of lightheartedness and sense of humor from Cupcakes with Cal, I did an application which was largely just uh, humorous and it made you uh, poke a bit of fun at yourself and we talked about if you had an MDOT tattoo. We talked about um, a bunch of different sort of stereotypes. And if you could provide a humorous answer, you're the personality you wanted. So we had no sense of the size of the team. We just thought if you're the right personality, we'd pick you. Um, and then we got a huge response. And in the end, we were just, we had to turn away a lot of good people. We I think we finished with about 160-odd athletes um, for that first year, which was beyond our expectations. Um we turned away a lot of cool people but we decided in our second year of 2019 to extend the team by another 100 people and um yeah same we retained most of the members about 80 percent and we took on new athletes and uh it's just sort of grown from there so we meet up at races um we now designate races that we meet up because we were being called in all sorts of different directions and Uh, If we're honest with ourselves, it it does take the focus off Elise and my racing. She races as a professional as well, and um, we would still like to attend some races where we just focus on the race and focus on trying to get a a good podium performance. And um, So for 2020, we expanded the team another 100, and we went up to 340, and we're going to be attending Ironman New Zealand, Ironman Cairns. Ironman 70.3 Boulder, Ironman 70.3 Coeur d'Alene, Ironman 70.3 Sunshine Coast and we'll also be out in Kona and um, we encourage our athletes to come out there. Uh, we'll have the team tent and we do a th- fancy dress theme for each race. So we've just done a poll for Ironman New Zealand which is the start of March and right now we're going to be in the 1980s aerobics um, costumes. Um, so we just have a bit of fun with it and uh, you know, if we get 40 or 50 athletes to these races, then we can, uh, we can just bring them home and have some fun with it. And I think it's just cool to show that we can be in quite an individual sport, but still show that there's a team
1: component to it. Yeah, that's huge, man. Team component in an individual sport. I think that's, uh, that's been a game changer for triathlon over these last few years. So I I love to see that. And, you know, the question that kind of pops in my head when I listen to that is like, how do you guys find yourselves able to scale this right like is it just you and elise or do you guys have uh, people helping you because that's a lot of people to manage i'm just thinking like uh, try kits and and registrations (laughs) i think it'd be a lot of work right
0: uh it is and some people appreciate that and other people i think think we're just sitting at home ready to reply to emails (laughs) so uh, it's trying to convey that without seeming ungrateful um because people, and we've come to realize as well, people value our results as well. So when I won Boulder 70.3 in 2018, like it, I think it's it's cool. You know, We're essentially the leaders of the team. We're the, we're the point of the spear. Um, and to show that we're sort of leading by example is great. And um, we have all sorts of abilities on the team as well. So we have, uh, I think last year we had 13 athletes qualify for Kona. We've also got athletes who are turning their life around from, you know, some some addiction or depression or just getting off the couch. And uh, balancing that and those personalities um, is something that requires quite a hands on effort. And it's not something that we're going to set up the team and just walk away. And I've always enjoyed interacting with people and I enjoy being around people. I'm probably too social sometimes, but. Um, there is quite a high workload and there is times during the year where the apparel and just coordinating bits and pieces does become quite overwhelming. But we've just, you know, we set up ourselves and I try and put in systems in place with printers and shipping labels and just, um, just our apparel systems so that it becomes a lot more efficient than how it was in our first
1: year. Yeah, no, awesome to hear, man. I, big respect for that because it sounds – Sounds like it's definitely a task at hand to say the least to coordinate all that. And, you know, at the same time, right. Deal with everything else you have going on, you know, a, a baby now, uh, your own racing, if you're going to get back into that and, and that sort of thing. So that's good stuff. And I mean, if, if people are listening and although 2020 season applications are now closed, if, if they want to be a keener and want to look at the 2021 um, and plan ahead a little bit, how do they go about registering and kind of like what are some of the sort of the perks from the team, right? I know you mentioned you got a few sponsors and I, I read something pretty cool about uh, Quintana Roo with the Kona athletes, right? Uh, uh, One of the years anyway, right?
0: Yeah. So we have um, our application process or our our membership year runs from November through October uh, each year. So uh, come October this year, uh, generally around Kona weekend, we open applications for around two to three weeks. All the information you can find by following us, the Cupcake Cartel. Uh, on Instagram or Facebook, make sure you follow the right Cupcake Cartel because there is a soft porn company in California with the same <laughs> name. <laughs> we, um, yeah, we have had some conflict with them where um, they will be writing uh, not super pleasant comments on some of our athletes uh, who tag our um, our hashtag, and uh, it'll generate interest from them. <laughs> and uh, so we've tried. We've been trying to avoid that conflict, and uh, so that was that was one of the little roadblocks that we overcame at the very start. And uh, but basically, yeah, follow us on social media and interact with us because whether you're on the team or not, we'll, we'll reply to your comments. You know, we're a two man team here, and it's either at least on myself replying to emails or comments. We're not um, we're not into outsourcing a lot of that. We do get some help with. Um, Packing our team packs. We're about to send out our 340 team packs early in February. We're just, yeah, just going through and stock taking all that. And there's a lot of behind-scenes stuff like that, which um, is quite labor-intensive and it just requires a lot of attention from us. So we're figuring out that as well. And look, we're not afraid to make mistakes and learn. We just, we try and communicate all of that with our team with regular updates on Facebook and also emails. And most people are understanding, they give you a, an element of goodwill versus if you were to buy something online through a store that you didn't know, uh, they're not going to be consistently emailing you and letting you know there could be a delay in customs or, you know, extra tax and duty. So I think people respect respected if you're just transparent.
1: Yeah, no, exactly, man. hundred percent. I think that's a, uh, that's really cool to hear that. And now there's some perks to the being on the team, right? So if, yeah. you guys have quite a few sponsors on the go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've had, um, We've had a lot of good backing from our sponsors, so we have uh, we have discounts uh, that range from fifteen through to fifty percent with all of our sponsors, um, and we have uh, deeper discounts and perks for our athletes that make it to Kona. And a little bit like professional athletes, there's bigger incentives. Uh, there's bigger incentives to do well in Kona. Um, so if you're a Kona athlete on our team, then Quintana have a deal where they'll give you a PR5 frame set, which is their uh, second top frame set. Um, so we've had a number of athletes each year take that, and there's also the opportunity to upgrade to either a disc brake bike or the PR6. Um, Roka normally help out with product, and Shimano as well with product. QR is out in Kona, and, which is always it's cool because obviously – everyone is flying into Kona for the most part and if you've had a long haul flight and you've got a bent derailleur or, or in issues with your DI2 cables then it's good just to know that you've got a team sponsor there you let them know you're a part of our team and they'll look after you and um, so for this year we've worked on that as well we've had an ISM jump on board as well uh, ISM saddles and they're providing product um, and deep discounts and uh, we have A breakfast normally we put on for the athletes out in Kona, which um, QR sponsors, and we try to make sure our high-performance athletes are looked after just as much as um, uh, our our other athletes on the team because there's a lot of competition in the high-performance part. You know, we've got Everyman Jack, you've got the Sunto multi-sport team, and um, we want to retain these athletes. We've lost some of our high-performance athletes because they'll get a result in a big race, whether it's Kona or a North American championship race like Texas, and yeah, all of a sudden they'll get some nice little offers and discounts and, um, it's trying to manage that where we cater for them as well.
1: Right. No, that's crazy, man. Awesome. I didn't, uh, I didn't know some of those perks, but it sounds like you guys got a lot of great sponsors there and you know, you said it really well having QR down at Kona. I think that's huge. If, if you guys are sponsored by QR, that's the exact same thing I was thinking about too. I'm going down to challenge Roth in July and I just heard that QR is going to be going back there and, and I'm super excited about that because worse comes to worse. You know they have guys down there that are knowledgeable with QR bikes. If something does get damaged on the way, so you know little things like that, I think do add up. So uh, that's really cool, man.
0: Yeah, cool race, Roth. I think that's. Um, is that what you said you're doing, Roth? Yeah, challenge Roth. Yeah, that 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 always seems to come up in conversations where it's just one race that rivals Kona and uh, just the magnitude of it all. I know Jan's heading back again this year, and there's a bunch of other. Top pros as there are every year, and it sounds like the whole little town there gets behind it.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, Matt. Uh, that's one of the things i going to be asking you. But you you already named out your roster of, of where you guys are going this year. But I was going to say if Challenge Roth was on tap, but you know, maybe uh, next year. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's definitely on the bucket list, right? Uh, on the bucket list, I, I'd love to get there. We'll definitely get there. um We try and support our North American races uh, because that is where most of our our uh, sponsors are from especially that Roker and Shimano. We, we deal with, um, you know, Boko and Stages. They're all out of Boulder, Colorado. And if we've got a presence in North America, then it's not only great for our sponsors, but also for our team members. Um, we find that, obviously, the U.S. being so big, um, it, it's a lot more sparse in terms of athletes aren't meeting up as frequently as they are down under here, where, you know, there's only like five races during the summer. So you're bound to cross paths with another teammate and we, we just want to encourage more athletes to interact and attend the same races. So um, Roth is definitely not off the cards. It it, it, it won't happen
1: this year, but it's going to happen. Beauty. No, that's awesome. And then, so you just spoke on Colorado there a little bit. Now, uh, one of the things I did notice, uh, you know, at some point in 2019 anyway, you were down there uh, with Matt from 51 speed shop and you look like you're getting a bike fit done at the multi-sport shop there and, First off, I'm, I'm going to say, like, how'd you find yourself all the way down in Colorado doing a bike fit? Uh,
0: so, I've spent the last eight years in Colorado uh, during the summer, uh, and it's ranged from four weeks in 2010 through to six months uh, in about 2014. Um, wow. And as I mentioned, um, uh, we were exposed to Colorado or Boulder, Colorado, way back in 2010 when triathlon New Zealand team based itself there for four weeks leading into High V, which was Des Moines, Iowa. And um so we got exposed to the training and just the facilities and the mountains and it was super cool. Um so I, I'd also seen a lot of videos and and media showcasing all the athletes that are either in Boulder, Colorado or San Diego, and San Diego just seems too busy for me and Boulder I trained there and I really liked it. I really liked, uh, I felt safe on the bike there, which is a big thing these days. And I found with Denver International Airport, we could fly in and out of, to most big centers. And uh, yeah, so
1: we go back every summer that's it man it just seems like boulder is the mecca for triathlon and and uh everyone who wants to be anyone in triathlon that's kind of that's the go-to place because that's where everyone seems to be that's where all the you know the big the big brains behind everything and all the best athletes so it, it's pretty cool that triathlon has a little hub out there and i like to see that
0: yeah we, we go over there each year obviously and we we have friends over there now and we know our way around and feel comfortable with it and obviously there's a bunch of other aussies and kiwis and Uh obviously a lot of our American and Canadian friends there. Um but yeah, we've contemplated other places as well, like Bend and Oregon, but I keep coming back to Boulder, Colorado. Obviously we deal with Boko Headwear who are right in Boulder. Um Matt Steinmetz, who you touched upon before, he actually coached me for three years and um that's how I have a relationship with him. So I check in with him each year. He's he's the best bike fitter around. So uh, I always check in with him and um,
1: He's just a great guy to talk and um, very down to earth. Now, just from that, you know, getting your bike fit done by him probably a few times there, uh, is there any, just for all the age groupers listening there, I always try to push on a big bike fit, you know, that's, that's key to have. And um, any little tips that you can kind of take away from, you know, having your bike fit done by one of the top guys in the industry? um, Was there any key takeaways that you kind of share with the the listeners?
0: Yeah, I would, um... I don't know if there's a silver bullet to solve all the issues. The biggest thing I would do is get a bike fit with someone reputable who, uh, maybe focuses more on comfort rather than on, um, how you look in a side on picture for your social media profile. So make sure that you're in a comfortable position that you can actually hold on the bike. Um, I find that sometime that's overlooked, uh, People want to be more aero and look more aero as opposed to being in a sustainable position. If you're not comfortable, a couple of things, you're not going to be able to hold the position. So you're going to end up sitting up on the base bars a lot of the time. And also you're probably going to jump off the bike and have a sore neck or sore uh, hamstrings or lower back. So I would make sure that uh, it's a comfortable position that you can hold. Aero does not trump uh, comfort if you cannot hold aero for that long. And Obviously, with so much uh, the Tour de France and cycling, and you've got these cyclists who can hold these crazy low positions, but they're not triathletes and they're not running off the bike, and generally they're not time traveling for 180k or uh, 90 kilometers. So, I just sort of keep it in perspective and um, try and find something that's comfortable for you. There's a lot of good bike fitters around, but um, there's a lot of cowboys as well. So, just uh, I-, I would, I would talk to your friends and just find someone who's
1: reputable. Perfect. No, that's good stuff, man. I I like that advice quite a bit. And you know what? I've been a couple of those Cowboys without knowing until after the fact. And yeah, it's just when you find a right bike fitter, then you definitely know. So, I mean, it never hurts to go off recommendations of other people. So that's always a a good tip there. No, good stuff, man. I mean, asking a little bit more personal questions here, I guess, switching it up. Now, who's someone uh, that's either inspired you in your triathlon career or who's an athlete out there that you look up to right now?
0: Um, I've always looked up to Cameron Brown. He's another Kiwi athlete. Uh, Him and Craig Alexander have probably been two of my biggest idols because both of them I find quite humble and down to earth. I feel like, uh, for the most part, they will tell you how it is without sugarcoating it. I've trained with both of them, particularly Brownie. Um, I started racing against him when I went long course, uh, first in New Zealand and, He's just a really cool guy and obviously he's had great success winning Ironman New Zealand 12 times. I think he's 47 now and he's still going strong and he's just got a passion for the sport. Uh, I used to swim and train with him in Auckland, New Zealand and I remember seeing him in, in physical therapy or physios uh, trying to overcome injuries like two or three months before Ironman New Zealand and I just don't think he panics. I think he he's like he's like anyone. He's a... He, he faces adversity and he manages to overcome it. He's not, um, he's not someone who's arrogant. I feel like he has time for everyone. And I think that's just uh, that's traits that Crowey has as well. And I think they're good people to model yourself
1: off. Beauty. Excellent. No, that's good stuff, man. And, and so, I mean, now we're looking at the 2020 season for you. I know we touched base on the cupcake cartel. Do you have any uh, races planned or what's it looking like with your injury? Yeah,
0: so uh, last week I just had cortisones um, in both of my knees. So my issue was uh, basically I had patella tendinitis or a variation of it. Um, I was, I think it was caused from the bike, and but it only seems to affect me on the run, especially running downhill, the braking phase. It really um, causes me discomfort. So I try to... Um, f- I tried to conservatively rehab it for as long as possible last year and I got running several times and I'd entered several races and then at one point or another it would just relapse and break down. So eventually last week we decided we will get the quarter zone and we'd get on with it. And uh, I'm actually heading back to my sports doctor right after this to check in with him and he'll sort of advise me how my return to run goes. Um, but I was planning on doing Ironman New Zealand in March Uh, it's going to be too close. So I'm going to look at Ironman, uh, Port Macquarie, which is Ironman Australia. And I'm going to also look at Ironman Cairns in, uh, both of them, I think are in May and June. Um, and obviously there'll be a smaller race in between now and then just to prepare for that, but it's, it's hard. And it's also a little bit, um, demoralizing entering a race and knowing that, uh, your legs aren't quite right, um because there's no hiding in an Ironman, especially you can wing it a little bit more at a 70.3, but an Ironman at some stage or another, you'll be found out. So, um, my attitude right now is just, to, as soon as I can get six or eight weeks of good running in, uh, I'll be able to, I'll enter these races and hopefully be on the start line. But, um, yeah, we've got those five races we nominated for our team. We'll be at all of them. Um, and hopefully I'll be racing Boulder 70.3 and quarter lane 70.3 as well. And, um, We'll have our team around there to share us on, but I really did miss racing in 2019. There were times where it was great to focus on our team side of things, but uh, it's tough as well, just being unfit and um, just trying to overcome injuries. But we sort of keep it in check as well. Like being injured is just part and parcel. And the famous New Zealand rowing coach Dick Tonks always had a philosophy of if you weren't being in, if you weren't injured at some stage or another, you're sort of not pushing yourself hard enough. So we could wrap ourselves in bubble wrap and be conservative or we could try and push the envelope a little bit. And, um,
1: you know, you deal with these injuries. I, uh, I definitely respect that. And you know what, I mean, hoping fingers crossed all the best uh, recovery goes well as planned. And, uh, you get out there and race a couple of those races yourself. But I mean, the nice thing is too, if you need to keep at it and keep recovering, then that's good, you know, you know, i'm sure you'll keep just as busy with the team you know your your baby and everything so it'll definitely be a busy 2020 season nonetheless so good stuff man and yeah. I, I can't, really i'm dying yeah. dying for it now so
0: we've you see it every uh i mean right now we're not in the peak of race season but um there's always races coming up and obviously being immersed in a in a triathlon team everyone's always talking about training and racing and um yeah it's nice to be a part of it and you always face those questions as well of you know do you hand in your pro card and is is your time up and uh, then I look at Brownie and Crowy who are like mid-40s and still racing very well (laughs) Uh, so it really comes down to you and your motivation as well and obviously just satisfying uh, other commitments in your life with the team and the family and um, I think balance is super important especially for longevity in our sport and I think you can get away with being super selfish in your twenties when you're young and, and you can just fly to any race and sleep in or take recovery between sessions. But once it's sort of you
1: graduate to being a parent, um, we learned very quickly that things change. Yeah, that's right. No, awesome, man. And all right, you know what, let's, uh, let's begin to end off the episode with, uh, you know, let's finish the strong anyway, here with a couple of training tips just to finalize things uh, for the listeners. And, now, looking at the 70.3 athletes out there who want to move up to their first Ironman, from your perspective, like, what can they expect to be changing in their training? Are they going to be dropping some intensity and adding volume across the board? Or, or like uh, for someone who's unsure of what they're doing going into this, uh, what's some advice on that? I think the only thing you need to add in is a little bit of volume
0: just uh, to build up that endurance. It really depends on how many hours a week you're training um, because obviously there's a crossover effect. You're still getting a, an aerobic stimulus from swimming, biking and running, which crosses over into each of those sports. So generally, like if someone, for example, had a run injury, you could, you could uh, boost up your swimming and not lose too much in your sort of aerobic fitness. So the same goes for an entire program. Um, the biggest thing I would say would you probably need to get in a long ride and a long run each week. And obviously build up to that. Uh, if your longest run right now is an hour and 15 minutes, um, I, I would probably uh, build up towards it being two and a half hours and make sure you can get through that okay. Um, the biggest thing with an Ironman as well that you really need to consider is your nutrition plan uh, and just how your body reacts to that duration and fueling. Uh, figure out through training how, um, what it takes to sort of avoid that bonk um how often you need to be taking a gel or um, some carbohydrates if that's how you feel so um yeah that's my biggest thing i also think that this is just my personal opinion obviously there's so many different ways to skin a cat you i don't think you need to be going out for six seven eight hour rides um regularly i think one it deprives you of your family and then two I sort of think it's unnecessary. I think for for myself, before I've done about maybe fifteen Ironmans. I think I've ridden six hours, maybe twice, and that was just for fun in the in the Boulder, Colorado, and the Rockies there. But for the most part, probably not right over five and a half hours. And um, yeah, I just I think some people get a little bit carried away. I'm not sure if it's for confidence to to, to feel like you need to race that distance. My first Ironman was in 2015, and I hadn't run a marathon before. I, the longest I'd run was 26 kilometers in training. And um, that, that was super daunting knowing that I was going to do a marathon, and it was going to be after about six hours of racing already. But you just get through it, and the race day is completely different to training. Like it's You're catered with nutrition the whole way. Uh, emotionally you're probably on a high as well because there's support you've probably got family there and there's athletes all around you it's not like going out for a six-hour ride or a five-hour ride by yourself where uh, you know your mind can wander so my takeaway would be um, the race you're always going to feel great in for the most part because there's a lot of different stimulus but just get in a long ride and a long run and make sure that you've trialed your nutrition prior to that so you know what you're doing on race day
1: Yeah. Awesome. And I I love that advice too, right? I'm I'm glad you touched base on that. Have a long ride and a long run, but always a very common question is, should people be expecting to do those 180 kilometer rides and and doing those close to marathon runs? And I think you kind of highlighted that there sometimes it gets a lot more hyped up over on Instagram than you might think, because it seems like everyone's doing six hour rides, six days a week here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely not the case. And I've done enough training with some of the best athletes to know that they are not doing six hour rides um and generally if you're in a race and you're riding over six hours you're not riding that fast anyway so maybe focus more on uh your nutrition and your training and your nutrition in your race so i think honestly five to five and a half hour um long rides would suffice if you want to do a six hour ride then great but i feel I see people doing seven, eight hours on the trainer or out on the road. And I just feel like that'd be mind numbing. I've, I've never done that. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how, I don't know. Obviously if that your coach is saying
1: then, that, then go for it. But I think it's unnecessary. So as we touched base a little bit there on practicing your on course fueling, uh, let's talk about on course fueling just briefly there. If, if someone has dialed in for a 70.3, But again, we're going to be moving up to that full distance. It's not as simple as just doubling the fuel fueling plan, right? Um, Does it require a completely different approach or what's your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, I use the same plan. So when I first moved to long course, I didn't know anything about fueling. Obviously, in ITU, you can get away with whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple of things for fueling for long course, uh, I remember reaching out to a guy in Australia who owns a nutrition company and he basically said, take one gel every 20 minutes. Um, and that was, I can't remember how many carbs it was, but I just, I took my little bento box on top of my container roo and I just jammed it full of 14 gels, which would get me through, uh, four and a half hours. And I rode four and a half hours on my first Ironman and, um, and it was fine. And obviously you've still got aid stations on the side of the road. Uh, and then for the, for the run, I strapped on a fuel belt and I filled it with Coke and I just drunk them as, a, as I needed. I used it on an as-needed basis during the run. Uh, one thing to know, if, if you ever feel like you're sort of hunger flooding, uh in an Iron man, just get some Coke in you because it is the black doctor and it will pick you up. And I I remember Crowley and Cam Brown, the massive advocates of Coke, and... Uh, Another thing to consider is you might see all these athletes sponsored by Red Bull or Gatorade, but I can guarantee you most of them are not using it. Um, I just uh, I feel like um, I feel like if you get your uh, nutrition trialed and training prior to the race, you should be fairly confident going into the race that you know what you're going to do. I've just always had a can of Coke or a bottle of Coke. Uh, as a backstop and it's obviously at every aid station in North America and around the world. Um, you know what you're getting and it'll just pick you up.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, no, know it's true. I've, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of good things about Coke in a race. And I mean, you know, you can even look at Patrick Lang, he pours that on him in a race like no tomorrow. So, I mean, it definitely yeah. has its benefits in a race all the time. So that, that's good to see. Not good, man. And so uh, one of the last questions here is just lastly, when it comes to training and racing for you as an athlete, Uh, what's your go-to? Are you more of a power readings type of guy or do you base it off heart rate zones or perceived efforts or how do you, how do you pace your race? Uh, in training, um, I'm, I'm more of a perceived
0: effort guy. Um, with that being said, I still use power, but I don't let it dictate, um, too much. So if I have, I have a specific interval session, I'll look at my power and I'll use it sort of to motivate me. But if I'm just going out for a two-hour spin or a ninety-minute spin, uh, I will I will base it off perceived exertion, which generally I find eighty percent of the training is aerobic anyway. And for me, that's conversation pace. And I just say to people as a rule of thumb, if you can maintain a conversation during uh, that those long rides or long runs, then that's sort of the pace you need to be at. Um, when you're doing your interval sessions, if you're going up a canyon or you're on the trainer. Um, If you're doing lactic threshold, aerobic capacity, or VO2, then you're not going to be able to maintain a a conversation, and that's maybe where power is more applicable. You can say, hey, look, when I'm doing my three-minute intervals, if I'm doing four by three minutes on the bike and I'm looking at 400 watts, then it's probably going to be a good idea to have a power meter just so I can gauge how I'm tracking versus when I did that session two weeks ago. Uh, In a race, I remember... I had a coach a couple of years ago who was super scientific based and he had me stick to power numbers. And I think I understand the logic behind it. And obviously it works for a lot of people, but I just found I am stimulated by racing people. And I remember at Boulder 70.3 in 2018, Ben Hoffman caught me on the bike and obviously he's a very good biker and I had my power meter on and uh, he came past me, and he's riding like 40 watts higher than what I was supposed to be at, and I'm like, well, here's my ticket to the front of the race here if I just stay with him. And um, I averaged my best ever power, and there was always a risk I was going to blow to pieces, but I enjoyed racing, Ben, and we rode the whole way together, swapping off legally and just trying to drop bombs on each other. And uh, I got to the end of the race, I uh, analysed my power, and it was a power I probably couldn't have held um uh, if I just stuck to what my coach's power was. So I felt like sometimes it's good just to race the race and just put that power meter behind or, you know, under a piece of tape and analyze it after the fact, rather than letting it dictate your race, because sometimes it can put a ceiling on your
1: performance. Um, and I'm not sure if that's always good. Yeah, no, perfect. I think that's a a great spot to end it off, dude. Um, so can you let the listeners know uh, where they can follow you on social media throughout 2020 and same with the the, the team
0: yeah absolutely so uh, um uh it's just my name on uh, instagram kellen Milward. um i <laughs> i've gone full circle on social media i really haven't posted that much on instagram i sort of um i guess with the injury as well i just wanted to shut up shop a little bit and try and figure it out before i start posting about training and all that but um everything is just my name kellen Milward. um our team is the Cupcake Cartel. Um, like I said before, make sure you don't follow uh, the one from California. Follow us. And, um, yeah, we have our little Cupcake logo. It's pretty easy to find. And, um, yeah, we're always super approachable as well. So if you've got any comments or questions or want to know anything about the team or we, we're coming to a race near you, just come hang out, say hi. We'll have the team tent there. And we are totally open to hanging out with anyone.
1: Beauty, man, that's awesome. And you know what, that's right, man. Thanks so much for coming on and yeah. uh, hope to see some Cupcake Cartel on uh, some of the race course this season, man. All the best. Yeah, cheers and all the best for your at uh, Perfect, thanks, man. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap with Callum Millward. Thanks so much for listening guys. And if you enjoy this episode among others, then please just take a minute to open up that Apple podcast app on your iPhone, search pacing racing and click the podcast, click subscribe, and then scroll down to the bottom and just leave us a quick review. It takes less than a minute to do, but it goes a long, long way in helping me out. So to all who do that, thanks so much. That's highly appreciated. And other than that guys, happy training. And if you want to train with me on Zwift, then drop me a follow by searching Steven Langenhausen. And on that guys, take care. Chat soon. Cheers.